The well is an ordinary place that takes on extraordinary meaning through encounters with Jesus. Join Father Anthony Messer from St. Timothy and St. Athanasius Church in Arlington, Virginia, in search of transformation, healing, revival, and refreshment. So we are kicking off a brand new series that I'm super excited about. Um, and as you see by the title right there, Do You Believe in Miracles? Where we're going to be discussing the miracles of Christ. Um, and the reason that we wanted to kind of explore the miracles of Christ is because sometimes when we read scripture and we read these miracles, they feel to us like they're not relevant. Okay, like Jesus did this really nice thing for someone. Okay, great. How does that apply to my life? What can, like what did he do to me? What can he do for me? But believe it or not, the miracles of Christ specifically they are actually very relevant to our lives because they tell us a lot about the nature of God, about like who God is and his relationship with us, okay? So when we're looking at the miracles, that's kind of how we're going to be exploring them together. So every week we're going to take a specific miracle and that's how we're going to explore it because the reality is God, the same God that was back then is the same God today. And that same God does still work miracles, okay? Some of them are big, some of them are small, some of them are seen, some of them are unseen, okay? But the point, is that the same God who did those miracles, the same God with us today. And our goal for this series, our goal for this series, and hopefully you guys will be uh, with me um, as we're going through the series, our goal is this, that we should learn from miracles but not chase after them. We should learn from miracles, we should recognize miracles, but we shouldn't chase after them. There's actually a real danger in chasing the miracle itself, okay? So a lot of times, again, like we read these stories and we're like, okay, well, great, well, Jesus did this, he fed the 5,000, Okay, why can't I get the job that I want, right? Like, we want the same thing. We want Jesus to this, I want this, okay? And that's not necessarily bad, but where it becomes bad is if we begin chasing those miracles. So our goal for the series is not about chasing miracles, but it's about learning from them. And one of the most famous miracles that Jesus did that I just mentioned, um, the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus himself actually gives this warning. If you remember the story, Jesus feeds the 5,000, and then he leaves the people because the people are trying to make him king, okay? And he leaves the people, and then the people come on the other side, and they're following him. And they are following him, and on the surface, it looks like a good thing. It looks like a good thing. But Jesus actually tells them this. He says, most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Jesus actually, like, kind of reprimanding them. He's saying, no, you got it backwards. You're not chasing me because you saw the sign. You're chasing the miracle itself. What Jesus was hoping for in that miracle and what was he, and he hopes for all of us is that we would learn from the miracle. What he was trying to get them to understand is that there's something great going on, that he's the Messiah, and that they're trying to learn that he is the bread of life. But instead what they were focused on was actual bread, that they wanted just to keep being fed. They wanted the same miracle. And if you actually remember, they, they continue to have this dialogue with Christ and they tell him, uh, we want to believe in you, but we have a condition. Can you perform a miracle for us? And Jesus just fed them. Like Jesus just fed 5,000 people, five loaves and two fish. And he says, no, we want another miracle. The miracle that we want is like our ancestors, they ate the manna in the wilderness. So again, their mindset, their focus was on the miracle itself, on the food, on the material thing, not learning about the person of God. Okay, So that's, that's the whole point um, of why Jesus did that with them. And some people will say, okay, that's fine. We, our goal shouldn't be that we're chasing miracles for the sake of miracles. But what if I'm chasing miracles for a spiritual reason? That's a good thing, right? 
Like if I'm chasing miracles, like God, do this miracle for me. And that's a good thing because I'll believe in you more. Okay? Like my faith will be stronger. Does that logic make sense? Do you guys agree? Like if God performed a miracle today, would our faith be stronger? Some people say yes. Some people are a little hesitant. Okay? Again, we have to look at the scripture. How many signs and wonders did, Jesus, did God do for the people of the Old Testament? Okay? And what we see is a constant cycle. God would do something great. They would believe. Then they would forget. Then they would rebel. Then they would disobey. And even Jesus himself, when he came down, he did a lot of miracles, a lot of great things. He, somebody was risen from the dead. Okay? He himself was risen, but he also rose people from the dead. He did a lot of great things. Did everyone believe? Was their faith made stronger? Not necessarily. Jesus actually gives a story that expresses this uh, beautifully. Um, and it's a story uh, about a rich man and a, a poor man named Lazarus. Okay, So the rich man doesn't have a name. We don't know the, the, the rich man's name. Um, but the poor man, his name is Lazarus. And the story goes like this. It says, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. And this is the rich man speaking now. He says, I beg you, Father Abraham, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to, let them, listen to them. No, Father Abraham, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. And this was very prophetic. Jesus is giving the story not like out of context. It's very prophetic about what was going to happen to Christ himself. So the point, the logic there, rich man says clearly, okay, I know what I did wasn't right, okay, and he clearly actually knew Lazarus from the story we can tell. He wasn't just a rich man that was oblivious. He knew who Lazarus was, okay, and that's why he calls him by name. And he says, I did something wrong. I'm in a bad place. I don't want my brothers to suffer. That's a good thing. But he says, I know how they will believe. If you just send Lazarus to them, they'll say, whoa, Lazarus was dead, and now he's alive. Clearly, now they're going to believe. And Abraham says, no, they won't. They actually won't change. That's not how they're going to be convinced. A miracle can definitely strengthen our faith if we're able to recognize and learn from the miracle. But oftentimes, a miracle can be rejected even if it hits us in the face. Even if it's right there in front of us, we can reject it. And the first miracle we're going to look at today, and, and when, again, our goal is going to be what can we learn from the miracle, okay? So um, with each week, our goal isn't necessarily like to try to say, okay, God did this. He has to do this in my life exactly the same way. But the goal is, if Christ is this, what does it tell us about who Christ is, who God is, and our relationship with him? So the first miracle we're going to look at today is what happened after the feeding of the 5,000 that I mentioned earlier and we heard about earlier. Um, and the Gospel of John, like I mentioned earlier, tells us that the people wanted to make Jesus king. So Jesus, only doing what Jesus does, he forces his disciples to escape on a boat, okay? And then he himself is alone for a little while, and then he's going to meet them. Um, later and we pick up the story in Matthew chapter 14 immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away and when he had sent the multitudes away he went up on the mountain by himself to pray now when evening came 
He was alone there, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. If you're reading the story, this is a story that actually, believe it or not, we can all relate to, okay? Not because we're all in the boat in the middle of the sea, okay? But this is a story we can all relate to. This is a story where what they're experiencing now is the where are you God moment, okay? Where we've all been there. Where you're in the middle of something that's happening, something that you don't like, something that you wish that God would just deliver you from. And you're sitting there and you feel like you've been abandoned by God. Like if you think about this logically, who sent them on the boat? Jesus. Jesus sent them on the boat. He said, okay, go. So Jesus sent them on the boat. What's Jesus doing? He's alone. So Jesus, on the surface it seems like, left them completely alone. And he's on the, there on the boat in the middle of the sea, in the middle of nowhere, tossed by the waves. Things are really bad. And it's Jesus who sent them there. If the disciples were asking these questions like, how can you do this to us? Why would you let us go on the boat? Why don't you just come with us? Those are all fair questions. And let's be honest, we'd be asking those and we'd be asking more questions. Those would all be fair questions. But did Jesus leave them alone? Yes and no. What was Jesus doing in the previous slide? He was praying. That's interesting. Jesus sends them on the boat, and he himself is praying. It's just my opinion, okay? It's just my opinion. This is not like, you know, 100% like commentary here. It's just my opinion. Who do you think Jesus was praying for? I think he's praying for his disciples. Like, we know Jesus as the giver. I can't imagine that Jesus' prayers is like my prayer. I can't imagine that Jesus' prayer, okay, and when Jesus prays, it's also like a mystery because he's the son of God, okay, he's God in the flesh. But I can't imagine Jesus' prayer is like my prayer. I can't imagine Jesus' prayer is selfish. I can't imagine it. I can't imagine it. I can't imagine Jesus is there and he's like, God, thank you for today. Please bless me and my family. Like, that's, not, that's our prayer. <laughs> that's not Jesus' prayer. Like, I can't imagine Jesus' prayer. So what I imagine Jesus is praying for, he's probably praying for the million people that he just fed, okay, that they would believe, and that their heart would be changed, okay, and that he's praying for his disciples, that they're in the middle of the storm, that they don't lose faith, that they know that he didn't abandon them. The lesson for us in all of this is even when we feel forgotten, abandoned, alone, betrayed by God, things that we don't like to say with our lips, but we kind of feel in our hearts and sometimes think in our minds, God hasn't left us. Or said in another way, just like Jesus was praying for his disciples, said in another way, God never stops thinking about you. Do you know that God never stops thinking about you? Like God, again, God isn't like me and you. God doesn't wake up one day and his to-do list is too long, okay? God doesn't wake up one day and he's too busy and he, oh, he just forgot. He just forgot that you were going through this thing in your life. God never stops thinking about you. He never stops thinking about me. That's the beauty of God. And sometimes, in the middle of the storm, it feels like God is nowhere to be found. It feels like we're abandoned. It feels like, I don't know what to do. Like, where are you, God? And that's okay. But I promise you, God hasn't stopped thinking about you. You're on his mind. In Isaiah, God makes this promise to us. And he says the following. He says, can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget, yet I will not forget you. Okay, this is a very famous uh, verse. And I love this verse so much because on the surface, when Jesus says, can a woman forget her nursing child? The answer should be, not a sane one. Okay, like, 
like not 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 a person that's like at least like I'm not even saying like an amazing like mother. I'm not saying an amazing mother. Like a reasonable mother. Okay, a reasonable mother would not forget about her child. Okay, like a reasonable mother would not forget about her child. And he says, if they and he said, surely they still may forget. God, I will never forget about you. And the context of this, of course, it applies to me and you. The context of this is given where the book of Isaiah and a lot of the prophets are written when the people are in exile. The people are far away from God. The people feel abandoned by God. The people feel betrayed. And Israel is crying out to God. The nation of Israel is crying out to God saying, like, where are you, Lord? I know we, we know we messed up. We know that we're, we're, we're far away from you. But where are you, Lord? And he says, I haven't forgotten. Even when it's your fault, even if the storm is sometimes self-induced, I haven't forgotten. And that's why I love that passage so much of Isaiah that reminds us that God is never, 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 ever going to stop thinking about us. Let's continue with the story. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. First question I have when I'm reading this passage is, why did they think it was a ghost? And I honestly, I couldn't actually figure out an answer, okay? Like, like, I guess it's strange to see somebody walking on water. But the first thought to come to mind, it's a ghost? Okay, sure, whatever. Second thing that I thought about was St. Peter here. There's a theological title that we give to St. Peter, okay? Um, Especially as it relates to this story. Does anybody know the theological title? Boss, okay? St. Peter was a boss, all right? St. Peter's awesome, okay? We give give St. Peter a hard time. We give St. Peter a really hard time about the denying, and St. Peter always says things maybe we shouldn't say. St. Peter is incredible. This is craziness. This is insanity, okay? Like, I thought it took courage for two people to walk, like the game that we did earlier, two people to walk with, with the egg thing, okay? <laughs> that took some courage. This is craziness. This is insane. Walking on water is a miracle. Walking on water is a miracle. Like, that would be cr- that's a crazy thing to do. You're in the middle of, of the ocean, and somebody says, walk on water, that's crazy. Walk on water in the middle of the storm, you, you should be in somewhere. Like, that, that's insane. That's insanity. But St. Peter, what I love about St. Peter is his absolute crazy faith in Christ. The confidence that St. Peter has in the power of God, and not just in the power of God, but in the word. And he said, Lord, if you just say, if you just tell me to come, I'll come. That's the power. It's not like, oh, this is cool, let me try. No. He says, if you just tell me to come, I believe I can do it too. Just tell me to come and I'll come. What this teaches us is that in the middle of the storm, in the middle of chaos, it's hard. It's hard to go to God. It's hard to go to God because sometimes we feel separated. We feel alone. We feel abandoned. But I love what St. Peter did here, is that he asked for help. He asked God to help him go to him. He said, Jesus, you're there and I'm here. There's a storm. This is hard. I don't know what walking on water means. I don't know how to do it. Help me. Tell me to come to you and I'll come to you. And that's the lesson for us, is to boldly ask God to help you seek him. Boldly ask God. Don't be afraid. No, there's no such thing as a weak prayer in the middle of a storm. Sometimes we're some, like, I feel like sometimes we're ashamed of our prayers. Like, but it's okay to say, Lord, I don't feel like praying right now. I don't feel like coming to you right now. I feel abandoned by you right now. Help me. Help me desire you. Help me to see you. Help me to walk in the middle of the storm towards you. Those are all normal things to go through, and that's okay. The beautiful thing 
that I love about St. Peter and, and, and really in, in all the, the stories of St. Peter for the most part is his confidence in God and his absolute faith. When no one else speaks up, St. Peter is the one who says, you are Christ, the son of the living God. I almost see Christ smiling and saying, good for you, Peter. Like, you get it. This is crazy, but good for you. And the story continues. But when Peter saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? Okay. And I imagine St. Peter remembered walking on the water, and I imagine the other disciples reminded him that he sank. Okay. Imagine there was a little bit back and forth. Hey, I was the one who walked on water. They probably said, yeah, and you were also the one who sank. Okay. So there's probably, I imagine they had some fun together. Okay. I imagine the disciples had some fun together. We want immovable faith. We, want, we all want immovable faith. I want immovable faith. You want immovable faith. We all want that. But the reality is that we doubt. We doubt. And that's okay. Like doubts come. And doubts are, are not going to be a, a, a thing that ends our faith, but they come. What I love again about St. Peter is he cried out for help because he had no choice. He was going to sink. He had no choice. So he cried out for help. So he, he asked for help the first time. Okay, He said, if you tell me to come, I'll come to you. Okay, And then he asked for help again. So he's not afraid of, of this relationship with God. He, he knows who Christ is. He knows that Christ is patient. And Christ telling him, why did you doubt, is not just a reprimand for St. Peter. If you think about it, it's not just a reprimand for St. Peter. St. Peter's the one in the middle of the water. Where are the other disciples? They're still on the boat. So he's saying, why did you doubt? Yes, to St. Peter. But it's a lesson for the rest of the disciples too. You think they were doubting? You think they're like, oh, this is fun. Let's all go out on the water. Nobody else is there with him. Okay. So what he's telling them is this doubt that comes when our faith, when the storm comes and there's doubt that comes, that's going to happen and that's okay. But the question that Jesus is telling them to ask themselves is why did you doubt? And did you actually know that asking that question of why am I doubting? You know, a lot of people will tell you don't doubt. Just believe, just believe, just believe. I don't believe that, okay? Because I believe we're all human and we all doubt. And that's okay. I doubt, you doubt. But asking the question of why am I doubting? That can actually strengthen our relationship with God. That can actually strengthen our relationship with God. Because when we get down to, to the core, we start to break down things that maybe we believe, some misconceptions that we believe about who God is. And God starts to work something deep in us and starts to renew our faith in him. The story continues. And when they climbed into the boat, Jesus and Peter, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. It's a lot of great miracles that happened today. Jesus walked on water. Peter walked on water. Not only did they walk on water, they both walked on water in the middle of a storm. Okay, so Jesus walked on water. Peter walked on water. They walked on water in the middle of a storm. Not only that, when Jesus entered the boat, he calmed the storm. It's a lot of miracles today. All great miracles. But the greatest miracle is that in the middle of the storm, God does something that we can't imagine while we're in the middle of it. And that's what he did with the disciples today while they were in the boat. God transforms our doubts into a renewed faith. God can transform our doubts into a renewed faith. If we stick with Christ, if we keep our eyes on Christ, even in the middle of those storms, God can do something amazing. You will never go through a storm in this life, and we're all going to go through something in life, okay? Either you've gone through something, you're going through something, sorry, you're probably going to go through something. Okay? It's just life. 
That's just the way life is. Not to be depressing, it's just the way life is. So just embrace it and be ready for it. You're never going to come out of a storm the same way. You'll, never, you'll always be affected by it. But we have a choice, like St. Peter. The choice that we have in front of us is that we can go to Christ. We can ask for help. We can ask him to help us go to him. We can stay close to him. We can keep our eyes on him. Or we can try to do it on our own. If we trust that God still loves us in the middle of the storm, even when we don't see him, even when we feel abandoned by him, if we trust that he's still there, that he loves us, that he's thinking of us, that he's always thinking of us, I promise you that God can do something special. And those are usually the most powerful stories that you hear. Is somebody who went through something really bad, went through something difficult, but then somehow God took that difficult situation, that difficult storm, and transformed it into something beautiful. Because that's what God does. Jesus can turn water into wine, death into life, and here, doubt into faith. That doesn't mean that the storms of this life are going to naturally just disappear. Okay? Like, when, again, when we read the miracle, okay, Jesus calmed the wind here. Okay, so then all the winds of my life should just disappear. That's not how it works. But what God does promise us is that he's there in the middle of the storm with us. And if we keep our eyes on him, that we'll get through it. And actually not just get through it, like we're not going to just survive it. We're going to be better for it. Okay? Not because he caused it. Okay? Not because he caused it, but because we go through storms in this life and we can actually be better for it. And there's a hope. There's an eternal hope that we can't forget. That God, as it says in Revelation, will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. God is working in this life and in the age to come. This balance is sometimes hard for us to stay focused on. Sometimes we're like, just the age to come. This life stinks, this life is worse, this life's worthless, just the age to come. I'm just the age to come. Okay, but in this life, God is doing something great. Like in this life, in this life, you have a purpose to be Christ to the world. That is your purpose. So God is doing something great in this life, okay? But by the same token, this life is never going to be perfect. You can't make earth paradise. That's never going to happen. We try to. We try to, like, 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 we try to do a million different things to be on 100% comfortable on this earth. But no matter, like the, the, the story we read earlier, the rich man and Lazarus, no matter how much luxury you live in, how much comfort you live in, this is still earth. It will never be paradise. So the balance is the two. The balance is, I know that God is working in this life, that he can transform doubt into great faith. They can do something amazing in this life. And at the same time, I know what the, this life is going to look like as well. Everything that we go through, everything that we go through in this life, and I've been talking to people who are going through a lot of different things and whatever, and again, you might be going through something now or you've gone through something in the past, okay? Or if you're not going through something now, I bet you know someone who is, okay? And you can be there for them in the middle of that storm. Everything that we go through, we think that this is it, that this is the end, that this is the worst thing that's ever happened and I'm never going to get through it. But I promise you, this is the truth. With Christ, no storm will ever have the last word. With Christ, no storm, will, no storm can ever have the last word. It's impossible. It's impossible. Jesus walks on water. That's authority. That's power. Jesus gets into the boat. Everything is calm. You know, a few chapters earlier in the Gospel of Matthew, there's another story about Jesus calming the storm. So this is in Matthew 14. A few chapters before that, Jesus calms the storm. And what was Jesus doing while the storm was happening? He was sleeping, okay? <laughs> Probably the most annoying thing to the disciples. Jesus was asleep. So one time, Jesus is sleeping. Another time, he's not even there, okay? And then he shows up walking on water. 
But what is he trying to tell us? That's nothing. To God, that's nothing. Okay? It doesn't mean he doesn't feel our pain. It doesn't mean he doesn't see us. It's actually the exact opposite. It's that he's there with us. And he probably feels it more deeply than even we do. Because it's not his purpose. Like the purpose of life isn't just to suffer. That's not why God created us. But we go through storms in this life. But our reminder is when we go through all those storms, when we go through all those storms, is that Christ is the one who's going to have the last word. The storm can never have the last word. So we see in today's miracle that you can learn a lot of great things, okay? And, and nobody try to go walk on water, okay? That's not the point of learning about the miracle, okay? Don't try to go walk on water. The point is that we see what Christ is doing something great. Christ is, is doing something powerful. He's trying to relay a message to me and you. I am in control. I am in control. I'll have the last word, okay? I can get you through things that you go in this life and not just get you through them like you're going to just survive it, but actually I can make you better for it. Like the devil wants to use something that's, that's negative to get you down. I can take that very same thing and transform it into something beautiful. Isn't that the entire story of salvation? Isn't that the, the entire story? Like the, from Adam until Jesus, isn't that the entire story of salvation? Adam brings in death. Christ says, okay, great. Give me this death thing. I'll take care of it. Now it's life. You're welcome. Okay, like, that's the, entire, that's the entire story of salvation. Like, every time, it's like, imagine if, like, evil versus good, and they're playing, like, a chess match, okay? God, God is, like, laughing at this chess match, okay? Like, the devil's like, oh, got you guys now, checkmate. And Jesus' is like, no. Like, that's not how this works, okay? That's what we learned today about the storm, is that Christ always has the last word. So no matter what you're going through, no matter what you've been through, or no matter what you will go through, or if somebody you know is going through a storm, Christ will always have the last word. Let's stand up and pray together. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we thank you for just being an awesome God, a God that is so powerful and at the same time so loving, a God that has complete authority, complete power, and yet cares deeply for every single person here, that you're always thinking of us, Lord, that you're never, Lord, leaving us alone, even when we feel alone, Lord, that you're with us, and that all you want us to do, Lord, is to look to you and ask you for help, to ask for you, Lord, to, to tell us to come, to walk on the water in the middle of the storm, and we know that we can do it not because of us, but because of you. We know, Lord, that no matter what any of us are going through, that you're always going to have the last word, and we're so thankful for that, Lord. The most encouraging thing, Lord, you tell us is that not that you're not going to have any storms in this life, but that you have overcome the world, and that when we're with you, Lord, we also overcome the world. We thank you, Lord, for caring for us, for being a loving Father, and we ask you that you hear our prayers through intercessions of all your saints. Here says, we pray thankfully, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us as they are daily bread, and forgive us our trespass, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from This talk was brought to you by Upper Room Media. We hope that this talk has, through the grace of God, touched your heart. And we pray that it will not only inform you, but will also transform you and your life with Christ.